Thank you for listening to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams continues his series entitled Proof Mark. In this message, we look at how our changed lives are the greatest evidence of Jesus Christ. No one can deny a change to life. Brandon challenges us that in order to see change happen, we must first be willing to surrender. Morning, church. How's everybody doing? Everybody awake? Ready? Everybody good to go? Trying to see if everybody's awake today. If anybody's already asleep, I'm in trouble. Y'all look good. All right, guys, we're going to continue uh, the Proof Mark, actually wrapping this Proof Mark series up this week. Before we do that, I want to mention a couple of things to you. Um, One of those is that we are having a vision dinner um, on July 10th. It'll be right after church. You can just plan on staying after church. We're going to feed you. All you have to do is sign up at the Next Steps table, and we just want to tell you more about the vision of Connection Church. This is a process for you to become what we call more than a member. Um, We don't want to just have members. We want to have people who don't look to... uh, um, just be a part of the church, but who actually invest into the church and uh, take responsibility for the church and the vision that God's given us. Also, on July the 17th, on July the 17th, that's right, that's the right date, um, we are going to do baptisms again. How many of you went to the baptisms last time? Bunch of you. That's awesome. We, we're doing it again. Listen, if you have given your life to Christ and you have not been baptized, we want to baptize you July the 17th. All you need to do, sign up at the Next Steps table. We'll give you more information out there. But if you have not been baptized, listen, we want to do this in obedience to Christ. It is your opportunity to, to publicly profess your faith in your Savior who gave his life for you. It's an awesome time. We're going to go um, to the Ogeechee River somewhere. Um, I was actually accused of, of our church actually killing the fish in the Geechee River when we did the baptisms last time. So what we'll do this time is we'll just probably go a little further north and see if we kill the ones below there. If, if, if we baptize people this time and the fish die, then I will claim responsibility for the fish kill in the Geechee River. But we're going to do that July 17th. I promise we'll find water somewhere. You have not been baptized Please sign up. As I said, we're going to finish up this Proof Mark series. How many of you know, we, we sang a song just a few minutes ago that said, He can move the mountains. How many of you believe that this morning? You believe that Jesus can move the mountains. Some of you right now, you're facing mountains in your life. And I want to encourage you today that Jesus can move the mountains in your life. He's mighty to say, there's nothing that can stand in the way of what God wants to do in your life. And today we're finishing up the Proof Mark series. If you haven't been here A proof mark is a stamp that goes on a gun. It authenticates the gun. It tells where it was made, who made it, when it was made, all of these different, that it can be fired, that it's been tested, everything. And one day as I was thinking about the proof mark on a gun, I thought, you know, there are a lot of proof marks in Scripture that that lend themselves to point to Christ, That, that even intellectually we can look at the Scripture and determine that Jesus is who he says he is. Now, with that said, the way we come to Christ is through faith, and, and his sacrifice us that is revealed to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. My prayer today is that God would use his word, his word to begin to transform your life. That he would use his word to open your eyes and bring you to a deeper level of surrender. I would dare say every person in this room today, every person in here that, 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 that's sitting here right now, there's something in your life that you need to surrender. There's something in my life. That I need. There, there, there is never a point when we get to with God that we can say, I'm finished, right? God's always working on us. And, and, and the things that you may be dealing with right now, you, you might overcome those. God will, God will bring you through those. But you know what? God's going to keep refining us and going to keep working on us. And today, the one thing that I want to really talk to you about is how our changed lives are the greatest evidence of Jesus Christ. You cannot deny a life changed by Jesus. No matter what anybody says, no matter what they try to say, if I say Jesus Christ changed my life, all they can do is say, no, he didn't, but I know, right? And so a changed life is the greatest evidence of Jesus. We're going to begin reading in John chapter 9 today. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. We're actually going to go through this chapter, pull some truths out of it. How many of you want to be challenged? You don't want to just come to church just to sit, right? Anybody want to be challenged today? All right, good. Todd, David, good. And... Because here's the deal, this is going to be a challenging message. I hope that every person, including myself, walks out of here feeling kind of like, ah, man, that was like rough in a good way, right? Walk out of here feeling challenged, feeling pushed closer to God, feeling like maybe we got pushed out of a place of complacency that's so easy for us to settle into. So John chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. It says, as he went along, meaning Jesus... 
he saw a man that was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground. This is so interesting. He spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Now when they, now then, when, now then, how then were your eyes open? I'm going to get help with that one day. They demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for allowing us to be here to worship you, God. God, today I pray that you would push us out of our places of complacency and that today, God, we would realize that we have been given the challenge and the honor and the opportunity to shine your light in a dark world. God, I pray that we would not leave here riding a fence, sitting on the fence, God, but that we would move one way or another, that your word would convict our hearts and leave us changed, that we would truly surrender ourselves to you so that we could experience the freedom that only Jesus Christ can offer. God, we, we, we ask you to move here right now in an awesome and powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you have ever noticed, like I was flipping the TV around the other day, how many of you have ever noticed how many infomercials are on now? Like everywhere, aren't they? You ever, you ever stop and watch them? Like all of a sudden you're like, what is this? And, and, and all of a sudden you've been watching the whole thing, you know? And, and I was flipping around the other day and it made me start thinking about some of them. And I want to see how old some of you are because the, this originally came out kind of a long time ago. But, but how many of you remember the Floby? Anybody remember the Floby? There are some ridiculous products that come out, don't they, on infomercials. The Floby. It was basically a vacuum cleaner that cut your hair. Y'all remember that? It's like it would suck up your hair and cut it and so you, didn't, you could save a few bucks on, on your haircut. Or how about, um, how many of you have seen the newest, the latest one, the uh, bullet? Anybody seen the bullet? How about the baby bullet? Anybody seen the baby bullet? Yep, my, my, my oldest son informed me that we needed to get the baby bullet for Reed, my, my six-month-old, or almost six-month-old. Get the baby bullet. And have, I, who has seen that actual, seen that infomercial? Has anybody seen it? Like, that's the, that's the baby shower from hell, right? It really is. You got, like, the one man who's standing in the background, and he looks like a serial killer. Like, you don't even think he's supposed to be in there, and he's supposed to be the dad of one of the women who's going to have a baby, and they're trying to convince this guy. And then you've got the drunken grandma who's just yelling out things all through the commercial. If you haven't seen it, go, go YouTube or, or, or find it, Google it, find it. It's worth watching. It is hilarious. But the baby bullet and all these infomercials, they're trying to sell us stuff. They're trying to pump stuff into our minds that we have got to have this product, Right? One that works, it seems to work really, really well, are the fitness commercials, don't they? Like, like, like buns of steel. Mr. Meeks is shaking his head. He's like, "Don't work for me." (laughs) Buns of, you remember all those things? Tybo, y'all remember those? P90X. I fell victim to P90X. I did. I did it for eleven weeks. I could not tell I did anything. What I learned from that is you cannot eat French fries, work out, and think anything's going to happen. I was like, I'm doing P90X. Nothing happened. I was still, like, fat and really, really white. I mean, I took my shirt off. I still looked like I was wearing a T-shirt. It didn't matter. But the funny thing about it is when you go and, and, and you're watching those shows, have you ever noticed what they do with the before and afters? Like the before, they've got like, like the guy standing there and he's got his shirt off and, and the pants are too tight so his love handles are really hanging over and, and, and he's kind of like just standing kind of everything, just kind of slumping and, and, and just, it just bleach white, right? And then they show the after and they're all like that and they're brown. And yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of difference, but mostly they're just sucking in their gut. And you're like, oh, I got to have that. In 30, really, 90 days, I can look, whoa. 
and, and, and you go and you buy it. Why is that so effective? I mean, we look at it and we're like, I got to have that. That will change my life. P90X, and then Insanity came out, and I was like, I already tried a P90X, it didn't work, I know that's not working either. So I, I didn't even go there. But why is it that, that when stuff like that comes out, we look at it, and why is it that they want to show the before and the after? The thing that I would tell you today is that the reason they want to show the before and the after is because the, the, a changed life is a powerful persuasion. A changed life is a powerful persuasion. Because everybody, I don't care who you are, wants to change in some way. Do you not? How many young ladies look in the mirror every day and wish they were somebody else? How many young men look in the mirror every day and wish they were somebody else? They just won't tell anybody. How many adults, we think we grow out of that, but how many of us, if we had our way, we would wish we were somebody else or at least that we could change certain aspects about who we are. And, and the reason these commercials are effective is because they promise that if, if we'll do this, it will lead to change and change lives are a powerful, powerful persuasion. I would tell you, it's the same way in our faith. The greatest thing about Jesus, though, is that he comes and changes our heart and it begins to change our lives. Changed lives are a powerful persuasion. I'd like for you to write this down. The first thing that maybe you haven't read anything, write this down if you can. If you don't have some, a piece of paper, if you don't have an announcement card, write it on your hand. The greatest evidence of Jesus Christ is a changed life. We can look at anything we want to look to, but the one thing people cannot deny is when Jesus Christ changes our life. There's, there's no way that, that somebody can come in that they can look at you, and you've all bumped into people like this. Somebody was a jerk when you knew them years ago. And you bump into them and everything seems to change. It's the same way with this guy in John chapter 9. This guy was blind. He had never seen daylight. And then the next time they see him, he's running around like he can see. And, and there was no denying that he had had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And the thing I want you to understand this morning, guys, the thing I want you to realize is that Jesus, his impact on our lives is undeniable. You cannot deny it. Check this video out. I guess for me, growing up, I never really felt like I, I needed God in my life. I, you know, I lived a lifestyle of working in restaurants and, uh, you know, making cash every single day, going out, partying, having a good time at bars, and it was a lot of fun. I was sort of ambivalent to who God was. I didn't feel like I needed Him. I, uh, you know, I lived an agnostic lifestyle where I, I didn't know what was right. I didn't know it was true, and I didn't. Honestly, didn't care too much. Um, after a while, though, I mean, I started noticing that things weren't exactly the way they should be. I, you know, relationships never worked out very well. You know, I, uh, you know, I may have been going on a good path career-wise, and and what I thought was a good path, but you know, it never really led anywhere. It always slipped a void in my heart that something wasn't quite right. Um, Really, I mean, God sort of showed himself to me over and over again throughout my life. I remember the first time was, you know, I was in kindergarten, and I had this play to do in this kindergarten Christmas play. And my line was, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And I was like, great, all right, I'm going to play. And this is my line, no problem. About six years later, I'm sitting there, and I spent the night in front of my house. And on a Saturday night, I went to church with him the next morning. Because that's the only way I would ever go to church if I'm spending the night with somebody on a Saturday night. But we go to church and we're sitting in Sunday school and they said, well, before you leave, no one's allowed to leave at all until you learn this one line from this book they call it the Bible. And uh, I'm like, oh man, what is this? I want to get out of here. I want to go. So I, they tell me the line and the line is, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You know, what are the odds? Yeah, that was the first instance that I can remember that God showed himself to me. He's he saying, I'm here. And he's saying, I'm here. But that wasn't enough for me. It was later on, I'm about 16 now, and uh, one of my good friends died in a car accident. And 
I'm over at his his parents' house, sitting outside with his girlfriend, looking up at the sky and consoling her. And, you know, it was kind of right when I said to her, you know, that, you know I know he's up there somewhere because I felt like that's what I was supposed to say. This shooting star shoots right across the sky. You know, and I was like, see, told you, you know, goosebumps, that kind of thing. The next year, my best friend and I went outside and just hoping and expecting, you know, a year later at the exact time that it happened, let's see. We go out and lay in the driveway five minutes till, and sure enough, five minutes later, shooting a star right across the sky. Biggest one I've ever seen. Yeah, and we get choked up. We're like, I don't believe this. And I actually, I think I was too scared to go out ever again after that because something that big, that's, that's still scary. Quite a few years after that event, I was sitting there and talking to this guy at the park and He's telling me about how his life changed around and how, uh, you know, he was big into drugs and alcohol and living the, the quote-unquote rock star lifestyle and how he's turned his life to Christ. And, and afterwards, I go outside and look at this picnic table sitting there and on it are these nine-inch long spikes. And I'm thinking, wow, that's, that's quite the coincidence. You know, that these, you know I'm, I'm picturing now... He's talking about Christ and everything. I'm picturing Jesus on the cross and these nine-inch long spikes. And so I go back inside and I ask him, I'm like, dude, what are these spikes here? You know, y'all using these? He's like, no, I don't know where they came from. And, you know, these are the guys that work there. This is their little area. So I went and checked with the other guys that work there. I'm like, hey, guys, you know, are you, are you using these spikes? Are these y'all? He's like, we don't use those kind of things. I don't, I don't know where they came from. I don't, who knows? What I do know, though, is they weren't there when I walked into the room. No one else came there, and they were there when I walked out. I remember thinking, you know, it's kind of like my whole life. God's like, hey, how you doing? A little later on, hey, how you doing, man? A little later on, hey, man, I'm here. How you doing? And a little later on, hey, I'm here. You know, pay attention to me. <laughs> and I just, I, I couldn't do it because things were going great. Things were going fine for me, I thought. I couldn't turn my life and look at him. But I guess God wanted me to change and needed me to change. And it still took quite a few more months after that. I stopped caring about anything I was doing. I got up, went to work, went home, drank, stayed depressed, got up, did it all again the next day. I didn't pay any bills. I didn't do anything. And uh, at the time, everything I owned was in a storage unit. I got letters sent saying, hey, we're going to be getting rid of other stuff. If you don't pay the bill, I'd never pay the bill. I didn't care. And sure enough, everything I owned was taken away. They got rid of it all and sold it all. And, you know, a lifetime, a history of my life was all in there and I lost it all. And, you know, that was sort of the point that I said, you know, something's got to change. Something's got to be better than this out there for me. My brother was uh, my brother's happy, or he is happy, and you know he's he's been following this path for a while. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't know who to call. I don't know who to turn to. So two o'clock in the morning one night, I called him. I'm like, hey man, I'm in tears. I I don't know what to do. My life's going terrible. I'm not happy. I'm trying to figure out a way to you know, be happy to get sober and get some sort of spirituality in my life. And he goes, hey, uh, well, you know, I've been praying on this for a while. Why don't you come move in with me? What? Really? Yeah, I mean, you were the kid brother in the room next door for half my life. I mean, we never really hung out like that. I don't know. And I thought about it, and I was amazed and couldn't believe it. And so I uh, quit my job, didn't have anything to pack up for the most part because it was all gone. So I uh, got in the car and I drove to Statesboro and moved in with my brother. I remember I was sitting there one day at a, at a, uh, a small group. And uh, somebody had asked something and they said, you know, did you take Christ to be your savior? Somehow it came up and I was like, well, absolutely, yeah, of course. And my other roommate, Andrew, looks at me and he's like, dude, really? He's like, when did that happen? And I was like, well, uh, Wow. 
I didn't even realize it. It just, you know, things started progressing in the opposite direction. They just, just like before, when things started going downhill, it started going the other way in the right direction. And I was like, this is, I, I didn't even think about it. But yeah, I'd take Christ as my Savior, of course. But I got home, my brother's sitting there. He's like, hey, I got this, uh, this bottle I got to show you. About eight years ago, he made a, had a little water bottle and on it wrote, Jesus, I know you can bring Patrick to you. It was so cool that he kept that, and and he was right. It did. He brought me to him. Since I've been here, I, it's uh, it's been amazing to see the different things in my life that are going the way they should be going, and that's all through the grace of God. Um, you know, because I could go back out there and start drinking again, and you know, I could do that any day if I wanted to go back to that lifestyle go back to partying it up and staying in bed for 15 hours a day and but why I, I don't want to do that and I know that just through other people through what they've seen in me you know even if I don't see it myself necessarily all the time I get told that by the people that they see it you know I hear it from my brother all the time you know saying that he's proud of me and this kind of stuff and I see it from my friends when I go back to Marietta and talk to people. They're like, hey, you look you look different. You know, something's a little different about you. And not that they can pinpoint what it is, but, you know, I've gotten to the point where I don't pay attention to coincidences anymore. I realize there's meaning behind it. And so I know what it is they're talking about when they say they see something different. Um, even the other day, I got this tweet from the only person who's ever tweeted anything towards me. It was from uh, Sean Fox saying, uh, you, sir, are an inspiration to many. Don't forget that either. I thought that was pretty cool. You know, it's... I never thought I'd be the one in church every single Sunday. I never thought I'd be the one even participating in church. You know, I figured it was a forced thing if I'm going to be there every single day. You know, I never thought I'd be the one living a lifestyle that is pure, clean lifestyle. Not to say that everything about my life is perfect, but it's better. I really had to take a shot and say, this wasn't working, will this, and absolutely it did, 100%. Amen. You know, Jesus has the power to change a life. And we sat and we watched, actually, when, when Patrick moved down here, we actually watched this transformation beginning to take place. And as he got closer and closer to coming to that point of making a decision for Jesus, John and I would just be sitting around like, it's about to happen. It's about to happen. He's, he's close. It's about to happen. God's working. God's doing something. And then finally, I get a text one night. He's like, man, Patrick received Christ. I was like, woohoo! But you know what? We've seen change in his life. We've seen things happening in his life. We've seen him being conformed to the image of Christ. And it's so important that we realize, church, that we don't just come to Jesus and and remain the same. Jesus loves us enough to meet us where we are, but he refuses to leave us there. It's, It's our honor. It's our privilege that we get to be conformed to the image of Christ. That God long ago had in mind that we would not just be saved, but that we would be conformed. And that he would begin to do something in our heart that would change us at the very core of our being. This is what, but we always think about change as what? Well, if you become a Christian, you got to quit drinking. If you become a quit Christian, you got to quit smoking. If you become, you, you know what I'm saying? Isn't that the thing? We always talk about the things that we got to quit. What about the things you get to start doing? What about the things we get to, like hanging out with the God of the universe? Like celebrating every day that our sins have been forgiven. The problem with Christians is we don't realize we're sinners. We can't appreciate grace because we don't realize we're sinners. We'll say we are, but we don't live our lives as people who've been forgiven by God. If we did, we'd have more joy. We wouldn't look like people that just suck lemons all the time. Right? We'd be people who who were passionate about God. 
But I look around and I don't see that. I don't see it in us. I don't see it in me. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of playing church. I'm tired of walking in and walking out week after week and nothing changes. We need to be about pressing into God. We need to realize that change is the greatest evidence of God, not external change where we put on a facade and we put on a mask and we try to act like we're something we're not. But change that begins at the core of our being because Jesus gave us a heart transplant and begins to work out of our lives. That's what we need. That's what people need to see is a life that is in progress. A life that is a constant work under the hands of a loving God. He was shaping and molding and we're trusting him to get us to the place that we need to be. I mean, here's the problem, guys. Some of us have been following Jesus for 10, 15, 20 years following Jesus. And there's no difference. There's no difference in us and the atheists. And we look at the morality issue, but listen to me. It's not about morality. It's about a heart change. You can't focus on your morality. You can't focus on your external appearance and and follow Christ. It's about what Jesus does in your heart. The question is, have you surrendered your heart to him? Does he truly have your life? Because here's the honest truth. I'm just going to be very blunt about this. Church, listen. If it's about change, if the greatest evidence of Jesus is change, we're sucking it up. It, it, we, are, we are embarrassing our God. And, and listen, I'm not trying to get you, well, maybe I am trying to get you to think about your salvation, to, to maybe even question it. Because here's the thing, I would rather you question, am I really surrendered to Jesus? Am I really following him? Then get a big surprise one day. Then, then, then all of a sudden to think, wow, everything's cool and it's really not. How has he impacted your life? How are you different because you met him? What has happened? What has changed? Because you've met the God of the universe. I want to tell you today, we're going to go through about four things that I believe keep us from from changing into the image of Christ. See, it's not just about having a Savior. It is also about having a Lord. It is about coming into the power of Jesus to change a life, to revolutionize our life, to give other people hope. The first one is this, and and this is really coming out of John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. But I believe this. I believe that too many of us see our sin as terminal. We see our sin as terminal. This guy, listen, he was born blind. How many days, and this guy was older. I mean, he was at an age where his parents could look at him and go, listen, he's of age. He was an adult. He was able to speak for himself. He was older, and he'd been blind all of his life. And how many of you think that maybe this guy was at a point in his life where he had given up? And I would just be point blank honest with you. Some of you have given up on ever overcoming the very thing that God is trying to get you to surrender. But isn't it awesome that Jesus never went for the easy jobs? Isn't that awesome? He never went for the easy jobs. Like this guy didn't have a splinter in his eye. He was born blind. Could not see, never seen daylight. And Jesus walks up to him and and, and he spits on the ground, mixes it up. That's just gross. Like if you're going to spit in some dirt, pick it up and stick it on somebody's face, you better be able to deliver something. Because, I mean, if you can't, you're about to tote a butt whooping, right? He spits on the ground, mixes it up, puts it on the guy's eyes, and he goes and, and he washes in the pool at Salome, and, and, and then he becomes able to see, sees daylight for the first time. You know this is a, a physical representation of what God wants to do to us in the spiritual? He wants to recreate us. You remember Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. What did God do? He took some dirt and he formed it, and, and then he blew life into it. He created life from nothing. I mean, he, he blew into some dirt and it came to life. And in this, this, this story, this account in the scriptures, 
Jesus takes mud and he puts it on his eyes. And all of a sudden this guy can, can see. And I really believe that Jesus was saying, listen, the same God that created somebody from dust, from dirt, is the same God that can recreate you from the inside out. And for the first time, this guy was able to see. And I believe today that God would have many of us for the first time begin to see who he is. That maybe for the first time we begin to realize it's not terminal. We sing about God moving mountains. And I look around and people got their hands in the air. But do we really believe it? God will allow nothing to stand between you and him. God will allow nothing to stand between you and and you becoming Recreated in his image. But are we willing to surrender to that God? Are we willing to quit trying to focus on outward things and begin to focus on what's inside of us? Are we really willing to do that? We, we had to have some tires put on our, uh, our, our van. Man, I got a van. I was cruising around in it this week. It's awesome. And uh, I mean, it's so cool to drive a minivan. And so I was riding around. In, in, the, in the minivan, and we, we had to get tires put on it, and, and the tires aren't cheap, right? So if anybody wants to give an extra donation to the church, you can put down in the four Brandon's tires. Oh, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. But, but tires aren't cheap. And, and so we took our car. We got the tires put on. And the awesome thing about, about living here is we know a guy who is a great mechanic, and he's a friend of ours, so we trust him. And so anytime something goes wrong with our car, we just take it. His name's Jaffe. We just take it to Jaffe. We pull in there, we take it to Jaffe, we're like, Mr. Jaffe, see you. we just leave, and he fixes it, we don't have to worry about it, he takes care of it. But you know what I've never seen happen? I have never seen an ambulance going down Fair Road, sirens blaring, woo, 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 somebody in the back having a heart attack, and I've never seen them pull into Mr. Jaffe's store. Never seen that before in my life. In fact, if I were the one in the back and they pulled in there, I'd be like, whoa, hey, <clears throat> second. This is a mechanic. Why are you taking me to a mechanic? And you know why an ambulance has never pulled in there? Because he's not qualified to take care of the problem. He's a great mechanic, but man, he'd be a terrible heart doctor. Right? You know, the problem for a lot of us in here today is we've been taking it to the wrong place. We've been looking to some sort of religious, out, outward religious focus. We've been trying to earn enough good things to out over, override the bad things. We've been trying to fix ourselves. And here's the thing, guys. We're not qualified to fix, our, fix us. There's only one who can come in and begin to change our heart. His name is Jesus. And many of us, I think, are like Patrick, where we've learned the lines. But we don't know the man. Do we really know him? I mean, that's the question. Do we really know him? We learn the lines and we can quote them, man. We know how to act when we walk through the doors. But do we really know him? Do we know God? When we stand before him, will will he recognize us? Does he know us? Listen to verses 13 through 17. It says, they brought the Pharisees. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. So now this guy's in trouble. God moved in his life. Now he's in trouble. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. You know, the the second thing I want to tell you and the reason that I think so many times we don't see any changes in our life is because we we have have misunderstood ritual for spiritual. Y'all had that wrong? That was good. We've we've misunderstood ritual for spiritual. We think that just because I go through the ritual, God's going to do something in my life. And it's simply not true. Here's the thing that I believe about so many of us. Instead of living under the influence of Jesus and the power of God, more of us are living, we're living under the expectations that people have placed on us. Anybody agree with that? Instead of living from the influence of Jesus and the power of God in our lives, we're living 
under the, the, the expectations that other people, that church has placed on us. And somehow we have confused those expectations with living for God. No wonder we're miserable. God offers us a real living relationship with Him. And the best we can do is create some kind of religiosity that if we follow it, we feel okay. But every time we get a step out of line of man's expectations for us, we begin to fall back into guilt. Is that not true? Yeah. Instead of walking in grace, we walk under condemnation because we're, we're smothering under people's expectations of us. Let me tell you, the only thing you really need to worry about in your life is am I surrendered to Jesus Christ? Am I surrendered to God? Am I willing to do whatever God tells me to do? Am I willing to walk with Him? Am I willing to spend time with Him? Am I willing to do whatever it takes to honor God with my life? Bump church, man. Listen, half the stuff that we do in church ain't church anyway. It's not. It's so funny to me, man. When, whenever I do marriage counseling, here's the thing I can promise you. If the man calls me to set up marriage counseling, I know it's bad. When the, because this is what's happened. It happened. I've seen it time and time again over, over the last few years. This is exactly what happens. The men, we're stupid creatures, first of all. Women, you ought to applaud that. I just got a witness. She's like, woo! She shouted, started running around. But this is what happens. We push the envelope as far as we can. We say, oh, well, I'll do this different. I'll do that different. I'll do this different. I'll do that different. And then, you know what? They finally get tired of hearing it. And they go, "Ah, I've heard that before. Not doing that. And every time a couple walks into my office and sits down, this is, this is everybody across the board, every time, the thing that the man says is we just need to go to church more. I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. And it's always funny because I'm the preacher and I'm supposed to try to get everybody to come to church. But the one thing I tell them is, listen, church is not going to change your life. Church is not going to change your life. And then I've got their attention. Because they're like, the preacher said that? Yeah. Because you know who changes your life? Jesus. Not the church. Jesus. Now when you come to Christ, you know who walks beside you, who strengthens you, who helps you, who helped Patrick come to a decision to follow Christ and now strengthens him to walk? The church. But you know who changes your life? Jesus. You know when that change happens? When Patrick decided, you know what? My way doesn't work. I'm turning and I'm going the other way. And I'm going to follow Christ. That's when it begins to change your life. Not when we, 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 we dress up and we come to church on Sunday and we begin to try to act like we're something we're not. I long for the day that we would be real enough to just say, you know what? I'm a mess. My life is screwed up. And maybe when we begin to get real, people on the outside will realize, like, I can go there. I don't have to be perfect to go there. And we realize it's not about some outward religious formality, but it's about an inward heart change that happens when we surrender our lives to Jesus. And I'm just going to be real honest with you guys. I am sick and tired of playing church. I'm tired of of us just going through the motions, guys. Come on. How many of us really have any kind of desire or passion to reach people who are outside of these walls? I was talking to a guy the other day, and he's like, you know, I just, I don't know about Jesus. I I, I believe in Jesus, and he's my Savior, but you know what, man? Like, I can't say there's another way to come to God. I can't say there's not another way. You know, maybe God did something different. Maybe there's another way. You know, I really believe that's where most of us fall today. Because if we really believed that Jesus was the only way to walk into eternity, would we not have a little bit of desperation to share it? If we really believed that the people we know and love are going to die and spend eternity in hell, would we not have some desperation to share it? You know when that desperation begins to happen? When Jesus touches our life. When he begins to change our life and he begins to change our heart. And we realize the only way 
to find life here and in eternity is through Christ. The one who died on a cross, paid, paid for my sin, shed innocent blood so that my guilty blood could be forgiven. Only then. But we've got to move beyond religious games. We need to quit equating ritual with spiritual. We need to quit trying to live under the expectations of people and begin to live life the way God called us to live it. Listen to verses 18 through 33. Jews still not, did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man, the man's parents. Uh, they're calling his parents. They're going to get him straightened out now. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind, but how he can see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. The parents just threw their kid under the bus. They're like, we, do, we got no idea. Now, that, that's some loving parents right there. Just sacrifice their son. His parents said this because they were afraid. Let me ask you this real quick. This is, this is a bonus. Who do you fear more, man or God? Who are you in awe of more? What people say or what God says? Do we live our lives to, to, to try to be what God called us to be or to try to please people? Because this is the thing I can tell you, you will never live and do all that Jesus has called you to do if you're worried about pleasing people. It goes on. Ask him, he's of age, he'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've already told you. He's like starting to get ticked now, right? I already told you. You didn't listen. Do you, you want to hear it again? Do you want to be his disciples too? He's like getting smart with them. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple? We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke through Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The third thing I want to ask you, and I just want to challenge you with, is have you met him and surrendered to him? Have you met him? Have you surrendered to him? Listen, there are people in every one of your lives that you have met and that changed your life in some way, how much more true of the God of the universe that when we meet him, we surrender to him. And the problem for us in the American church is this. The problem for us is not a God who is a savior. The problem for us is a God who is the Lord. We do not like lordship. How many of you have ever seen a country invade another country, take that country over, but then the country that was taken captive go, okay, we're going to tell you what to do now? It don't happen that way. And when you come to Christ, you come to a new Lord. You come to a new master. Your life is surrendered. It's not just about gaining access into heaven. It is about the opportunity to know and be shaped and molded like the God of the universe so that his glory fills the earth. That's our call. It has been since day one. It has been since the beginning of creation. It has been and will always be our call and our opportunity and our privilege to represent the God of the universe in this world, to be replicated, to look like him, to walk like him, to talk like him. I'll, always, I'll be out in the yard with my kids and, and, I, and, and we'll play ball and I'll hit a ball and, and, and they, they're just amazed at how far I can hit a ball. And it's not that far that I can hit it, it's just they can't hit it that far. And we're walking back and, and Jackson, my, my five-year-old, he's five years old today actually, he, uh, he'll look at me, he'll go, Daddy, I want to be like you. I'm like, man, that's awesome. It's a little intimidating, but it's awesome. You know, we, we ought to look at our Heavenly Father and be like, Daddy, I want to be like you. I want to be shaped like you. And see, here's the thing, guys. The greatest miracle that's ever been performed is to take a selfish person 
and make them care about other people more than themselves. Do we? Can we say that God's touched our heart in a way that we truly care about other people more than we care about ourselves? Have you met him? Have you surrendered to him? Fourth thing, verse 34. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. This encounter with God got him thrown out. One reason I believe, and the fourth reason that I believe that we don't change is because we're not willing to leave our old life. We are simply not willing to leave our old life behind. In fact, I would dare say this, that that I don't know how many people are in here today, but I would dare say that there are many, probably at least half, who are in here today who are not following Christ because we refuse to leave our old life behind. And here's the craziness of that. The reason we refuse to leave our old life behind is because we think it'll cost us more than we gain. You're gaining the God of the universe. He owns a a thousand cattle on the hill and the hill. He owns it all. Everything is his. And when we come to Christ, we become an heir to all of it. He holds the key to life, to joy. And yet we run away from him because we will not surrender ourselves to him. We run away from him because we think that giving up our old life is going to cost us more than we gain by being in relationship, a right relationship with God. How crazy is that? But that's the life we live. That's the way we think. That's that's what we believe. Is that I'm going to lose more than I'm actually going to gain. Here's the last scriptures. John 9, 35 through 41. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees were with him and heard him say this and asked, What, are are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim, you can see your guilt remains. I love verse 35. Here they are, the religious people have thrown this guy out of the church. This guy was an outcast because of his, his faith, because he had trusted in Christ, because because God had healed him, because God touched his life. This guy was thrown out. But who went after him? Who went and found him? Jesus. And here's the thing that I love, because you, you, you may be in one of two places today. One, you've never given your life to Christ. And, and, and because of that, Jesus is looking for you. And some of that us freak us out. It freaks us out a little bit because we're like, this God is like hovering over. No, he's coming after you in love. He's coming after you because he wants, he wants to do an incredible work in your life because he wants to create you and recreate you in his image. And so some of us need to realize that Jesus has come for us. It's like with Patrick. He said, all these things kept happening in my life. And, and it was like God was going, here I am. Here I am. And you just kept walking away. And today is the day you know, I need to surrender it to him. I need to make that decision today to accept the free gift that he's given me, a right relationship to put down the games, to put down the mask, to put down the facade, to quit playing church and to finally hit our knees and say, Lord, have my life. Have your way in me. The other place that, that I think some of you probably are and, and where I find myself quite often is that I'm afraid if I surrender it all, I'm gonna be left alone. I'm afraid that, that if I truly live life the way God has 
called me to live life, to walk the way God has called me to walk, that somehow I'm going to be cast out. And I'll be alone. I'll be looked at, I'll be looked at differently. Let me ask you this. Would you rather be identified with the ways of this world or would you rather be identified with the ways of God? And the truth is, guys, you will never be alone. Jesus, God told us he'd never leave us or forsake us. And right here we see that the one who was rejected, Jesus went and found him. He went and found him. Because we've been called to a place of decision. Verse 41, Jesus said, if you were blind, you'd not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see your guilt I believe Jesus is trying to create a loophole for people who don't know because the Bible tells us that God has revealed himself even just through creation that we can know him what I believe Jesus is saying is we've all got a decision to make we can either accept God we can follow Christ we can accept the forgiveness that Jesus has given us or we can deny it We can make him our Lord. We can follow him. We can allow him to replicate himself in us and then we'll replicate ourselves in others as he works through us. Or we can deny him and we can walk away. But God brings us to this place of decision. Do you know what what would happen if a group of people this size, just this size, this is a summer day and obviously we have a lot of people with money because they're all on vacation. But can you imagine what would truly happen if this number of people surrendered their lives and said, God, whatever it is you need me to do, I'll do it. Whatever it is you got to do in me to make me represent you, God, do it. I'm tired of holding back, God. I'm tired of just going through the motions. What would happen? we said that today and we actually lived it I can make you this promise those of you who surrender today and say here I am God use me do whatever you got to do through me you know what you're going to have to do tomorrow morning surrender you know what you're going to have to do on Tuesday surrender but what an awesome opportunity to surrender to a God of love every day of our life and know that I don't have to carry the expectations of people. All I have to do is live in surrender to my God. 